Oh, Lord. To hold on to your promises, Lord, when we are in the middle of a battle or a struggle, Lord, I pray that we would do so. I pray that you would continually draw us close to you, Lord, and that we would seek you, search for you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for this time that we can gather, Lord. May this time be fruitful, Lord. Would we learn? Would we receive, Lord? Would we internalize? Would we live out what it is that you would have us to learn, to see this morning as you speak to us, Lord? Bless the word. Be with Pastor J.D. as he continues to stand up and preach your word. In Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. You can be seated. Glad you're here. Uh, those of you joining us online, we're glad that you are as well. All right. Well, before we get started, I want to thank everyone who reached out to us, uh, those of you online, concerning these unprecedented fires on the island of Maui. We, of course, are here on the island of Oahu, and as such are unaffected. However, I do want to share with you what we're doing as a church. While there is certainly more to this, as more information becomes available, I'm not going to take the time to address that aspect of it today. I don't think it's the right time, nor would it be appropriate. And the reason being is that we as a church are focusing on meeting the immediate needs of our Maui Ohana, of which there are many. And for those asking about donating, and this is very important, please, please, please be very careful and prayerful, because there are many scams from many people asking for money for Maui, which we would never do. So uh, especially for those of you online, if you ever see uh, the church name, my name, asking for money, it's not us. It's a scam. It's a fraudulent account. We've dealt with it for years. Uh, we never do that. But what we will do, are doing, and have already done, is have Honolulu Freight pick up pallets of food and supplies that we already had here at the church at the ready for such a time as this. Pictured here is Brother David loading one of the many pallets here at the church. This was on Friday morning, and they were delivered to our contacts at Hawaii Stevedores yesterday, Saturday at Pier 1. Uh, Mike Lau, who is a dear friend and brother that many of you know well, especially after he shared his testimony with his son Micah, this was a few months back, he's still with Hawaii Stevedores as a working foreman, and has kept Pastor Leitu apprised of the efforts to meet the immediate need of getting containers shipped from Honolulu to Maui as soon as possible. Also, 
a brother in Christ, who's the Matson supervisor, is uh, working with us, as well as the shipping companies like Pesha and Matson, to make this happen in the name of Jesus as soon as possible. Uh, Mike Lau also informed us that the pallets we sent them to ship, along with other items that were donated, will ship out on Wednesday and will be in the morning on the Jean Ann. This is a Pesha vessel. Then a Pesha supervisor on Maui will then truck the containers to the Maui War Memorial Gymnasium, where many who have lost everything and are homeless are being housed and fed. And I mean, it's, it's just unimaginable. So this uh, memorial is in the town of Wailuku. It's far enough away from Lahaina, but many of the uh, people that were affected by this and lost everything uh, because of this are staying there. This is one of many locations where uh, they are being taken care of, and we're going to do everything we can uh, to help in that effort. It's at times like this, I think you will agree with me when I share this, but isn't it so that at times like this, we're so grateful to the Lord in our trust in the Lord, who as only He can and will use something as horrific as this is, and this is horrific, which was intended for evil. But God intends it for good and for the salvation of many this day, we pray. And that's what I would like to do. If you would join with me, please, is just pray. Father in heaven, our hearts are heavy, of course. And for all of our brothers and sisters and our Ohana there on Maui that have just been devastated by what is just unimaginable and unthinkable. And it happens so fast. And Lord, just the, the numbers, though mind-numbing, as they continue to rise and the reports of the death toll, the, these are not numbers. These are people. These are souls. And they represent brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, uncles, aunties, friends, loved ones. Lord, right now we're just asking You, thanking You that we can ask You at a time like this to do that which only You can and are always faithful to. In the realm of the supernatural, miraculously provide, save lives, reduce the number of the loss of lives, the injured, Lord, that they would receive treatment, those that have lost everything, 
that they would find you. If they don't know you, Lord, let this be that which brings them to you. Lord, would you, you've blessed us abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, and we deem it such a profound privilege to be able to assist and to even have been ready for such a time as this to assist. Would you, Lord, go before us in getting the needed supplies there as quickly as possible, and to the people who need them the most? And Lord, show yourself faithful, reveal yourself during this time for those that are suffering in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. Lord, thank you again. You are God. You are able. There's nothing too hard for you. So Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have two services on Sunday mornings. Uh, the first is the weekly Bible prophecy update we've been doing for a number of years. And the second service, which will be live streamed at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. For those of you online, it's our verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. We're currently in 1 John and uh, chapter 3, and our text will be verses 16 through 18 today. We're going to look at how it is and why it is that we can know what love is. And the Apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, is going to provide us with this, what I'll call biblical template of sorts, by which we can know what love is, what it looks like, what it acts like, what it is like. Um, those of you that are watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to our website at jdfarag.org. There you'll find the uncensored, uninterrupted entirety of today's update, because only the first part will be streamed on those platforms. So with that, we'll get started. And by way of a disclaimer, please know that this thumbnail and title was decided on and designed before the Maui fires. Um, maybe prophetic in more ways than one, but as I sought the Lord, as I always do every week concerning these weekly prophecy updates, I sense that the Lord today for the update would have us revisit a well-known verse in Scripture and take a, another look at it. But this time through the lens of Bible prophecy. And the verse that I'm speaking of is 1 Corinthians 10.13. I would encourage you to turn there in your Bibles at this time. We'll get to it in just a moment. But first I need to provide a little bit in the way of context. Doubtless you've heard it said, or you yourself have said, I know I've said it, 
something to the effect of, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, if you're on the receiving end of that, when a well-intentioned brother and sister in Christ says something like that, and you're going through the trial of your life, well, I'm just going to leave it at that, because <laughs> sometimes it, 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 it's just, maybe it's just not the right time, or maybe it's the right thing, but in the wrong way. Because if you're anything like me, I don't really warm up to that right at that time when someone says that to me. Why? Because it sure doesn't seem like this is true. <laughs> I'm pretty overwhelmed right now. Oh, but God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, I don't know. This, this, this might be the exception. <laughs> Imagine that. You're the exception to the promise in God's Word. You're the, you're the one case of all mankind throughout human history for which this promise does not apply. Does that make sense? I know I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but it's a sanctified sarcasm, and there's a reason for it. Because this saying of, well, God won't give you more than you can handle, comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And it's usually framed in the context of being in a fiery trial. And while it is true that God won't give us more than we can handle, there is so much more to this promise. And that's what I want to talk with you about today, namely that of how in and through the intensifying fiery trials of life in this the last hour, and the intensifying of fiery trials in our lives in this, the last hour, are intensifying seemingly with each passing hour. God is faithful, and God will provide us our only way out as a way of escape. What is our only way out? Our only way out of this evil world is at the trumpet sound, when Jesus will take us out of this world in the pre-tribulation rapture. Oh, there he goes again. Now, this of course presupposes as Christians, we know that the devil knows he has but a short time, and is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, knowing 
that Jesus is our only way of escape. And this is why it is that the heat is being turned up, if you will. And that's a good thing, because the turning up of the heat in this last hour has the much needed effect of making us want to get out of this world, having long overstayed our welcome in this world, not our home. Are you at 1 Corinthians 10, 13? Can you follow along as I read it? The Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth by the Holy Spirit, and he says, no temptation. Now stop right there, because that word temptation in the original language of the Greek New Testament is the same word translated for trial. Now you'll forgive my Greek pronunciation, but it's the word philipsis, and it carries with it the idea of a crushing weight. And, and this is what they would do, by the way. They would, they would take in their torturing of people, crush them by putting this weight on them, on their chest, so that when they would exhale and then inhale, they could not let that air out and it would crush them to death. So temptation or trial is the same word. And I'm going to also, no extra charge on this one, bring up the word tribulation. Interesting word. Comes from the original root tribute, which was how they would take these, these heavy logs and roll them over people and crush them to death. How are we doing so far? <laughs> are we off to a horrifying start? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's talking about Philipsis tribute, this crushing weight that is crushing you. And he says it has no crushing weight has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. And then notice these two words, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted, tried, tested, philipsis, crushed beyond what you are able. But listen, with the trial, temptation, crushing, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Wow, what a promise. I want to draw your attention to three encouraging truths that are wrapped up in this one powerful and even prophetic promise. And 
how they apply to us today. First, notice the trials that overwhelm all of us are common to all of us. I think about what we just studied in Peter. Think it not strange. Don't, don't think that it's strange that you're going through this fiery trial. It, it's common. But God, those two words change everything, is faithful to not allow that crushing trial to go beyond that which He knows you and I are able to bear up under. Now it may not seem like it, because when you're going through it, you're thinking, this is it. I'm not making it out of this one. I'm being crushed under the weight of this one. But I'm promised here that God knows where that point is, and He's not going to allow it to get to that point where it's beyond what I'm able to bear up under. Second, and this is, they're all important, but please don't miss this. It is so important. Notice He says it's in and through the trial, the crushing. I wish it wasn't. I don't, I don't like the word through. I like the word out better. No, no. God is going to get you through it. Actually, I want God to get me out of it. No, God will get you out of it, but He has to get you through it. That didn't work as well as I hoped it would. I just will trust the Holy Spirit will make that make sense. But it's in and through the trial, the crushing, that God will also provide a way out when it reaches the point where we think we can't go on. And it's different for all of us. He knows where that breaking point is. He's not going to allow us to go past the point of no return, if you will. He knows you're being crushed. This is a philipsis in every sense of the word. I mean, you're just gasping for breath. You're being crushed under the weight of this thing. And God knows. But in and through that crushing, in and through that trial, God is promising you, and God cannot, this is not proper sentence structure. Of course, none of my sentence structures are proper, but God can't not not keep a promise. Can I try that again? Why not? God's given you His Word. He's not going to go back on His Word. This is His Word to you, His promise to you. He will not allow you to be overcome and crushed. It will be in and through the crushing that God's going to get you out of it. And He is going to do it in His time, in His way, and for His glory. Yeah, but it's really hard. 
He knows. And this brings me to the third one, and perhaps most importantly, it's at that point. You know what I'm talking about? The point where you're, you're just at the end of yourself, which by the way is the best place to be, when you're pushed past all of your resources. Everything you throw at this thing, everything you try to do about this thing, everything you try to figure out about this thing or work out about this thing is met with total failure. And you come to the end of yourself and you throw up your hands and you say, God, I can't go on. And that's when God rushes in. And He not only makes it so that you can bear up under it, but He makes it so that you have a way out of it. When that time comes, and God knows when that time is. And his timing is always perfect because God is the God of time and God is perfect. See, our problem is, is that we want God to do it now, in our time. But God says, no, I'm going to do it my way, in my time. God is never late. It seems like it sometimes, doesn't it? But he's never early either. His timing is always perfect. And he will provide that way of escape, getting us out when that time comes. Now, for those asking, <laughs> how does this apply to Bible prophecy? Let me simply say, you and I are going to be able to bear up under whatever it is that we're going through right now. And the Lord knows what you're going through. The Lord knows what you brought to church with you today. He knows how hard it is for you. He knows you're hurting. He knows you're struggling. He knows you're being crushed. But He's going to make it so that you're able to bear up under whatever it is until He takes us out of this world. What are you going through right now? Well, He's going to get you through until He takes us out of this world, which is any time now. Think about that for a second. Why wouldn't He? I mean, we're trusting God when that trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ rise first, and we who are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We're trusting God for that, but we're, we're not trusting Him to get us to that point. I mean, again, you'll, for, you'll forgive the silliness with which I illustrate the absurdity of this, but God has promised us that we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. 
uh, that presupposes that he will have had to get us through whatever we were going through until the trumpet sounds in order to catch us up. Oh, the trumpet sounds. Where's JD? Oh, he didn't make it to the, he didn't, he wasn't able to bear up under what he was going through until you took him out of this world. Again, I, it doesn't make sense, right? He's going to get you through and to that time when He takes us out of this world, which is any time now. And you're going to make it. I know it doesn't seem like it. I know everything around you in your life, the circumstances are so perplexing and, and troubling and crushing and contradicting of everything that God has promised you. But God has the final word, not your circumstances or your trial. So we have a problem <laughs> and it needs to be addressed before we go any further. And it has to do with those who, for whatever reason, aren't currently experiencing a time of affliction and adversity. Please know there's nothing wrong with being in a time of prosperity where God seems to be blessing you and prospering you. Just rejoice in it and praise the Lord for it. Don't tell us about it, though, that are going through. <laughs> that's, that's bad timing, actually, is what I'm saying. So if that's you, praise the Lord. However, when, not if, adversity strikes, and adversity will strike, sooner rather than later, we would all do well to stop and consider. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. You can join me there if you want. We're going to be in chapter 7 for a moment or two here. It's a very interesting verse in our Bibles. Solomon, inspired by the Spirit, writes, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Praise the Lord. Rejoice. But in the day of adversity, keyword, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Some of your translations render it, so that man can discover nothing about his future. In other words, God packages prosperity with adversity. So you're in a time of prosperity. God's blessing you. You're not in a time of adversity. Praise the Lord. But it's a package deal, because God packages the two together. He has appointed the one as well as the other. He packages the prosperity with the adversity, and the adversity with the prosperity. Why? Oh so that we have to always look to Him, rely on Him, trust in Him concerning the future. Because you know how it is, right? When things are going good, 
cool. What's your prayer life like when everything's going well? How about when adversity strikes? Oh, now we're talking. Can I draw your attention to earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 7? I want to begin reading in verse 2. And if it seems like you're at a memorial service, it's because I'm going to take you to a memorial service for just a moment, if you don't mind. Listen to what Solomon writes. Again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. <laughs> is that backwards? I wish it was. Now he's going to explain why. Why is it better, Solomon, to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting? Why is it better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party? Because death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to heart. And then it gets worse in verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. What a killjoy. Why is that, Solomon? Because a sad face is good for the heart. Why is a sad face good for the heart? Verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of pleasure. What? Hang in there with me. When you're at a party, you're celebrating, you're feasting, you're just having a great time. What is the furthest thing from your mind? Your eternal destiny. Now let's take you out of that party, whisk you away, because now we're going to go to a funeral. Now you're at a funeral, and what's the furthest thing from your mind? The party you just left. Oh, what's on your mind? Death? The reality of eternity, the brevity of life, the destiny of man? I'm thinking about that at a memorial service. I'm not thinking about that at a wedding. Pastor, what's your problem? <laughs> you have no idea. And by the way, it's not problem singular, it's plural. Here's my problem. I am keenly aware that whenever I stand behind this pulpit, as is my privilege to every week, that I speak to many who are hanging on by a thread. And they're really hurting. And they know the rapture is soon, but for them it cannot be soon enough. But God, 
He's given us His Word that He will sustain us. He will sustain the righteous while He simultaneously restrains the evil. God will get you through whatever it is that you're going through. Because He did not create you for time. He created you for eternity. This is not how it ends. This world is not your final destination. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that because we live our lives like, hey, I just, I know there's a saying, but I don't want to try it because I know I'll botch it. But this is the reason, one of the reasons why Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says it's better to go to a house of mourning than feasting. Because that's when we're introspective. That's when we consider. That's when we stop and we, we start thinking about the reality of eternity. It, that's why it's better to go to the house of the morning. It's, the, it's wise. Wisdom is there. See, because is during the grief and sorrow and the pain and suffering of adversity that we take to heart the destiny of every man and the brevity of every life. And if we're honest, we have to admit that we're more apt to take to heart eternity, which by the way, God has set in our heart during times of adversity, not during times of prosperity. This is Ecclesiastes 3.11. I love this verse. You know it. It's been put to song. <laughs> he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts. And here it is again, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. In other words, God has preset. It's a factory setting. <laughs> in, in our hearts, He has preset eternity in our hearts. That's why nothing will satisfy. That's why the only thing that will ever satiate us is Him. And many have aptly referred to it as a God-shaped void in our hearts. Why is that? Because God put eternity in our hearts. Because see, He created us for eternity, so nothing in the temporal will ever satisfy. Because He the factory settings are incompatible, <laughs> because He set eternity in our hearts. And so now there's this longing in our hearts for that which He has set in our hearts. And we don't know what that is. Only God does, because God knows the beginning from the end, and the end from the beginning. And He is the Alpha and the Omega. No beginning, no end. Try to wrap your mind around that one. No, don't. Wait. We'll have all eternity. 
and our glorified minds and bodies to be able to comprehend that. Here's where I'm going with this. We today, regardless of whether or not you agree with this, that is irrelevant. I'm so sorry. Maybe I need to just say this at this time again. Maybe you tire of me saying this. But if you don't agree with me, okay. Good news. You don't have to agree with me. Well, I don't agree with Pastor J.D. That's not even the question. Does what Pastor J.D. say agree with the Word of God? So can you, can you just give me like a week off from the, I don't agree with you, Pastor J.D.? I had to get that off my chest. That was a preface for what I'm about to say. It matters not whether or not you agree with me or not, okay? Regardless, and I mean no disrespect, and I don't mean to be mean or sound mean. I'm just going to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And it doesn't matter whether or not you agree with me or not. Here's the truth. You ready? Wait for it. (laughs) Everything we're told in Bible prophecy that would happen at the time of the end is happening right now. Right now. That's the truth. Yeah, I feel a little bit better after that. And by the way, it's that truth that has students of Bible prophecy so excited. I mean, it is a sanctified excitement about the reality of the close proximity of eternity. And it makes what I'm going through so much easier to get through and bear up under knowing how close I am to this reality. Okay. That was just the introduction. If you'll kindly allow me to, (laughs) I want to share with you just three of the numerous and voluminous reasons that, and this is the truth, I don't care if you don't agree, the truth is the end is here not near. Here. I'm going to share with you three reasons why the end is here, now. The first of which is (laughs) this breaking news, I'm going to call it breathtaking news, about Saudi Arabia's normalization with Israel. Who knew? God knew. Brief quote. 
The U.S. and Saudi Arabia have agreed on the broad contours of a deal for Saudi Arabia to recognize Israel in exchange for concessions to the Palestinians. Are you kidding me? No way. Way. Over 2,500 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel was inspired by the Holy Spirit to prophesy about that article I just quoted from. That's the prophetic significance of it. Let me give you just a quick backstory so you understand what this prophecy is about. Ezekiel 38, if you're new to Bible prophecy, that's wonderful. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Glad you're joining us. We've been talking about this prophecy for, I want to say decades, because it has been. but. It's a prophecy about an alliance of nations with Russia, Iran, and Turkey at the helm who invade Israel from the north, Ezekiel 38. And all these nations are listed by their ancient names. However, this alliance will be met with opposition from none other than Saudi Arabia, who apparently along with the surrounding peoples in that region, at this time, when this prophecy recorded in Ezekiel 38 is fulfilled, at this time, Saudi Arabia will have good foreign relations and normalization with Israel just in time. Verse 13 of Ezekiel 38. Sheba and Dedan, that's the Arabian Peninsula that was given to the house of Saud, the Saudis, Beit Saud, not the Wahhabis. Otherwise it would have been called Wahhabi Arabia. Maybe that's too much. So that was given to the Saudis. That's why it's called Saudi Arabia. But in Ezekiel's day, it was known as the Arabian Peninsula, Sheba and Dedan. And the merchants of Tarshish, a lot of debate about that, and all her villages will say to you, who? This alliance of nations that has invaded Israel. Well, what are they going to say? Well, have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and to seize much plunder? Wait, who says that? Saudi Arabia. Wow! That means they're going to be in with Israel. That's what I just said. How, how specific is this prophecy? I mean, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we can go back as, as far as you want. I don't want to go back too far, because <laughs> I was still alive then. You know how it is when you're scrolling down online your birthday. I hate that. It's kind of, you have to keep going, you know, the 70s. <laughs> well, there's, there it is. There's the 60s. Anyway, enough of my problems. 20 years. Let's go back 20 years, okay? Ezekiel 38, 13. 
<laughs> Not yet. No. Saudi Arabia, Israel? Saudi Arabia coming to Israel's defense against this alliance of nations that's invading them? No way. Way happening right now. Exactly as God's Word said it would. That's just one of many. Two more for the remainder of our time that I want to share. But in order to do that, we'll go ahead and end the live stream on Facebook and YouTube and redirect you to the website if you're not there already. Okay. Bear with me. Before I share these two with you, I think it's incumbent upon me to apprise you, or at the very least remind you, of the prophetic description of the world during the seven-year tribulation, which, by the way, we're not in yet. I know it might seem like it. We're not in it. We're just very close to it. That's why it feels like we're already in it. That's how close we are to it. So this is a, a just kind of a, a refresher course. Can I say it like that? Just a, just a reminder of what it's going to be like during that last seven years of human history, known as the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation. While the world is tribulating, we're in that place that Jesus prepared for us in His Father's house, celebrating and consummating our marriage for a period of seven. So meanwhile, back here on earth, what's going on? Woo! One need look no further than to chapters 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation, which provide in, I mean, graphic detail, horrific detail, the prophesied horrors coming upon the whole world. And this in several ways, not the least of which is that of the controlling of every aspect of everything and everyone who are still alive on the earth during this time. So much so that no one will buy, sell, post, say, or do anything that goes against the narrative, as it were, without facing the threat of being killed. Now, that statement I just made about it feels like we're already in the tribulation, being because we're that close to the tribulation, which is why it feels like we're already in the tribulation. That's about to make sense here in just a moment. When I say we are on the cusp of the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, we are a Nets eyebrow away. And I haven't used that for a while. And yes, Nets have eyebrows. That's how close we are. I'm speaking truth to you. 
enter this article a good friend of mine on the mainland sent me last week. It was published on Monday, this last Monday, August 7th. The title, New Global Internet Censorship Began Today. Did you know that? This is Monday. A uh, few brief excerpts from the publication, quote, Instead of global internet censorship, Google calls it fact-check tools. Its purpose is to eliminate dissent on any topic Google selects. Their partners are the, no surprise, United Nations and the World Health Organization. Google's algorithms, quoting, are designed to delete websites that criticize topics such as COVID-19 statistics, the World Bank, the FBI's crime statistics, that's interesting, Farm GKB, and a one world global government. You know, all the topics we talk about every week. Other topics include global warming statistics provided by the IPCC, International Panel on Climate Change based in Geneva, Switzerland, the World Health Organization's findings on any topic they select, the United Nations Energy Statistics Database Carbon Emissions, and the Environmental Protection Agency's Greenhouse Gas Reports. <laughs> And there's more. I abbreviated it. Still quoting, the algorithms are Google's last-ditch attempt to control the Internet before people worldwide can no longer access it. The goal is to have one point of view. Hmm. Google calls it data commons. All data supports one global government under the United Nations banner. Google has the only say on what news gets read or blocked from the Internet. <laughs> this third and final one is a little peculiar. And by peculiar, I mean in the sense that after spending an inordinate amount of time this last week vetting this, I had considerable difficulty finding original sources from which to quote the transcript. This is uh, very unusual. I was, however, able to authenticate its legitimacy. It happens to be a four and a half hour long video of the International COVID Summit 3, Part 2, in the Brussels European Parliament. When you get to about the four-hour mark, you'll hear this Dr. Meryl Nass speak, and what she says is nothing shy of chilling in light of all that we've talked about heretofore concerning Bible prophecy, specifically during the seven-year tribulation. To their credit, Natural News picked it up and reported on it in a post titled, 
whose pandemic treaty to remove human rights, sovereignty, under the pretext of pandemic preparedness, we talked about that last week, and biosecurity agendas. We talk about that every week. <laughs> Few quotes. Board certified internists in biological warfare uh, epidemi uh, ep epidemiologist. <laughs> Can someone say that word? Epidemi epidemiologist. That word. <laughs> Dr. Merrill Nass issued a disturbing warning that the pandemic treaty being pushed by the World Health Organization is going to take over the jurisdiction of everything in the world. During the International COVID Summit of the European Parliament held in Brussels, Belgium, Ness said that the health authorities will use the treaty to impose the idea that climate change, <laughs> animals, plants, water systems, and ecosystems are all central to health. According to Nass, the pandemic treaty will remove, remove human rights protections currently embedded in the International Health Regulations, IHR, enforce censorship and digital passports, get rid of freedom of speech, require governments to push a single official narrative and dictate which drugs should be prescribed in every country. We're undergoing a soft coup, she alerted. She also pointed out how the organization is moving to create a whole new set of laws and ignore the existing human rights laws under the pretext of, here it is again, pandemic preparedness and the biosecurity agenda. NAS divulged how it is working on binding states so there are no longer recommendations providing a liability shield for vaccine manufacturers and public health officials getting rid of intellectual property rights and moving supplies from one country to another. It's already happening now. Here's the bottom line. This report and the many like them comport almost verbatim, I would say, with all the prophecies in the Bible describing the end, recorded for us, specific to the last seven years, the time of Jacob's trouble, the seven-year tribulation. I'll end the way we began and simply say, Jesus is our only way out. And for those who are at their breaking point, take heart. Why? Because 
He will make a way for you to bear up right up to the trumpet sound when He takes us up. That's His promise. That's His Word. And you better hang on to it for dear life, because it's a matter of eternal life. You know, this is the purpose of these prophecy updates. It has been for the many years that we've been doing it is to get people to look up. <laughs> As one said, when the outlook doesn't look good, try the uplook. I'm looking at the outlook and I'm thinking, I, I, I'm looking for a way out. Well, the way out is the way up. Look up. When you see these things, things that I just covered, which is just a fraction, literally a fraction. <laughs> when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws nigh, that trumpet sound draws nigh, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I can't wait. See my daughter Noel again, and my mommy, their new bodies. I hope my daddy too, all the loved ones over the years all the memorial services I've done here in this church as the pastor of this church. They rise first, they get their bodies. Then we who are alive and remain are caught up to meet them and see the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. Man, that's some good news. Well, that's the gospel that Jesus came, that He died, that He was buried, that He resurrected on the third day, and that He's coming back again one day soon and very soon. That's the gospel, the good news of salvation found in the person of Jesus Christ. What are the ABCs of salvation? Well, it's just a simple way to equip you so that you're at the ready, prepared to give to everyone an answer of that hope that you have. Because they're looking at your life. They're, they're, you're a living epistle. They're, they're reading the letter of your Christian life, and they're asking two questions about your Christian life. They're asking, does it work? And is it real? And they want it to work, and they want it to be real, because if it does work, and it is real in your life, then there's hope for their life. So you have to be at the ready to give to everyone an answer of that hope that you have in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the ABCs is. It's just, it's just a tool. So you're ready. The A is just for admit, acknowledge. You're, you sinned. You're a sinner. Otherwise, why, why would I talk to you about a Savior if you don't acknowledge that you're a sinner? Romans 3.10 says, there's no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Romans 6.23 now enters into the picture, and there's a penalty for that sin. And it's the death penalty, for the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. 
The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the A. Here's the B, very central and very simple. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. John 3, 16, we could quote it upside down, right side. Every which way, we, we, we know it so well. But what's, what's at the core of it? That God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die for us, that whosoever would believe. And then the C, lastly, is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Romans 10, 13, lastly, it says it all. It says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I implore you today, He's your only hope. He's your only way out. If you've never called upon Him, believed in Him, put your trust in Him. Today is the day of salvation. I implore you to make the most important decision of your life for eternal life. Well, I'm really looking forward to today's But God testimony. It comes from a good friend of mine who's actually one of our main transcribers, Karen Broom who gave me permission to share <laughs> this amazing But God testimony. Uh, she emailed it to me a few days ago. She writes, I have a small But God testimony. It shows the faithfulness of God even 22 years later, and how what happens long ago is still used by God today. Front story. Our Bible study group is growing so much in Christ. We have another woman joining us this coming Tuesday, Carol Spears. Backstory. After my divorce, when I wanted to move home from Florida to Georgia 22 years ago, I told God that I was only going to do so if He wanted me to. I needed Him to confirm it by finding me a home, a job close to home, with the same hours as the kids' school hours, and making enough money to pay the bills. Oh, and could it also be in graphic design? I had been a stay-at-home mom for almost 10 years, and I really only had a small amount of entry-level graphic design skills, not much else at this point. I didn't know of any job or rental home in my small town fitting this description, and my own searches had proved futile. I was pretty sure that I would not be moving back. So a sincere prayer was put before the Lord. But being impatient and still somewhat doubtful, I only gave God a week to do it. <laughs> I figured a week was plenty of time, as my request was easier than creating the heavens and the earth. He sent me to Carol 
who managed a local small staffing agency. She began her search. Five days pass, nothing. On the sixth day, wouldn't you know it, the day before I was to give up as no job or home was found at that point, she found a job that I could do. Five minutes from the house that I was to get three hours later, paid the bills I had, started 10 minutes after I would put the kids on the bus and ended 10 minutes after they would get off the bus. The part about getting the rental house is just as much God. I find one online, call them. She wants a credit reference and to know about my employment. Well, my job is now like three hours old and I hadn't even started yet. I had no credit except bad credit. I owed $1,100 on my furniture that my ex and I had not been faithful to pay. That creditor was also in my hometown. Five days prior, right after I saw Carol, I had gone to them to make it right. <laughs> it was five years behind in payments at this point, And they had not only written it off as bad debt, but almost fell out of their chair and definitely thought I was crazy when I walked back in, asked forgiveness, and offered to start up the payments again and make things right. And that was the only creditor and credit reference I could give to the landlord. But God. Turns out that the landlord's aunt was the lady at the furniture store. <laughs> I love when God does that. Only God can do that, right? And she vouched for this crazy Christian who was babbling about forgiveness and making amends. Of course, God never fails. Long story short, it gets better. Carol didn't know any of that part of my story until recently when I saw her in town. At the time, I didn't think about sharing the gospel or what Christ had done for me with strangers. Only my family knew this story. In our conversation two days ago, the topic of this crazy world we live in came up. I was telling Carol about the faith and belief I had in Christ and that He would be taking me out of this world soon. So I wasn't worried, but more excited as I watched the day draw near. Carol asked me about belief and faith and how I could have both with God. I shared that story and thanked her again for her part in it. She was speechless for a moment, as you might imagine. And then the best part happened. She asked, how could she have this same belief? I was able to give her the ABCs of salvation and she puts in parentheses, I have it memorized from transcribing it every week. She transcribes every prophecy update every week. So she, I mean, she can recite it verbatim. So she did. 
and she received it with a lot of hope in her eyes. The next day, yesterday, she wrote me and asked to come to our next Bible study. Praise God. I'm so excited to see where this goes. And to God be all the glory. Thank you for making it so easy to share the gospel, the good news. Thank you for always teaching the ABCs too. It has given me the ability to learn it by heart. And God was able to use that in His perfect time. Thank you for being my pastor and my friend. Much love, Karen. Capono, come on up. Stand up. Isn't that amazing? Go ahead and stand. We'll close and prayer the song. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Father, thank you so much. Oh, Lord, we've covered a lot of ground today. And of course, our hearts still grieving over what's happening on Maui and our hearts heavy, even just with what's happening in the world and to the world. And this lost and dying world, and so many need You, Jesus. And there's still time. Thank You for using people like us, choosing the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and the weak to shame the strong. You can use anyone. Lord, we want to be found faithful. We want to be ready, prepared. So thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for telling us ahead of time what's going to happen before it happens. So when it begins to happen, non-believers will believe, and believers will look up and lift up their heads, knowing our redemption draws nigh. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.